Um, our scripture lesson today comes from the Hebrew uh, canon that we would often call the Old Testament from Second Chronicles. There's uh, two, First and Second Chronicles. So the chronicler uh, is talking about the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon. Uh, Solomon is David's boy um, and is about to become king. And so let's share in God's good word together. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know why the mighty God of the universe chooses to answer prayer? Because his children ask. No other reason. But that his children ask. God delights in our asking. God's heart is warmed by our asking. God is love and love loves to be asked. Doesn't it? Give me a hug. Well, not really. I mean, there's a lot of you. But, but when a little child just looks up and like, Pastor Mark, give me a hug. I mean, our hearts light up. Is there a sweeter phrase than, give me a kiss? It is the sweetest phrase across our lover's lips. Now, even if we... Oh, right on cue. Way to go, honey. There it is. Nice. And even if we know that our spouse... I'm married to Chantel, by the way, here on the front row. Um, even, even if we know that they would like a smooch, it is still so much better to hear them say, kiss me. God's love for us is so intimate and deep and beautiful that God loves for us to ask God for what we need, for our heart's desire to be connected to him for whatever tiny thing that might be. And friends, when our hearts match his, heaven comes to earth. My name is Mark Foster, and I'm the senior pastor here. It's just a joy to be with you this morning. And we're going to learn to pray. Four simple prayers. Help, thanks, wow, amen. Will you say those with me? Help, thanks, wow, amen. All prayers, all perfectly good, all in themselves. So today, uh, I'm going to start us off uh, with help, with help. If you'll take your sermon notes out, we'll get started. Um, It's a good way to start at the beginning. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher, he says it like this, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. That's the way God works. He wants us to ask him. He knows what we need even before we ask, but he wants us to ask him. In the same way that you want people to ask you for things, you want your children to ask for things from you, not to just assume that they're theirs or to take them. You want them to ask. God wants us to ask. It is the rule of the kingdom. And in, the, um, in James, the letter of James uh, in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, You have not because you ask not. God wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. Even this ability to pray, this ability to ask is really the same thing, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. When they talk about prayer, when they talk about petition, it means to ask. That's what prayer is. When you look at the Greek words, the Hebrew words, when they're talking about prayer to God, talking to God, they're talking about asking, going to God and asking for our needs, our daily bread. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. 
So when our asking is for ourselves, uh, in our tradition, it's called petition. Everybody say petition with me. Petition. So now you know a big fancy word for asking for yourself. And, and we're to do this all the time. All the time. Now, depending on what tradition you grew up in, um, the church has at times used, or a Sunday school teacher maybe you grew up with at times, uh, has almost shamed you, or, or flat out shamed you, for asking for something um, that seems frivolous. Right? A piece of candy. Some little thing. But I know there's some grandparents in the room. And there is nothing that gives you more joy than to hop up your little grandkids on candy and give them back to their parents. <laughs> I mean, it's a good time. What? I'm just here for the day. I mean, it's up to give them back to you. It's petition. I learned this in a, in a very odd way when I was in college. Um, I my dad was my pastor uh, my whole life growing up. Uh, I went to college. Um, the only voice that I knew God was tied to my father, my earthly father, because he was a pastor. It was a weird thing to go try to find a church uh, and hear God through someone else. Um, that, was, that was just new for me. Um, and so I, I was at, well, just a moment for that wonderful university in Stillwater. So that's, that's, where I, that's where I went. Um, I was there yesterday, too. It was a good day. And um, I remember I was on scholarship um, and um, it was just one of those things where money was tight. I, had a, I took my graduation money from high school, and I bought a 12-speed bike, and that's how I got around. Uh, my sister and I had a, uh, a tiny, terrible, uh, should-have-been-condemned trailer out north of town and uh, would ride my 12-speed bike in to take my psychology class and my political science class and, and then ride back out to the, to the trailer. And, I mean, the money was tight. And I, it was just one of those seasons where I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it happens to me, where I looked around and there were other students and they did not ride their bicycle to school in their 20s. They had vehicles. Um, and they seemed to have more than enough money to go out to eat or do whatever, whatever they wanted to do. That was not my case. And they, there was, this was really cool. I'm dating myself. I'm 52. And um, anybody remember Swatch Watches? Swatch watches were the thing. I don't know why they were the thing. It's just like a plastic band. But I was like, wow. I mean, I would love a swatch watch. Lord, what, you know, why, why am I riding my bicycle and doing all this and working so hard? And other people, they just, you know, they have multiple swatch watches. They have two, three. Man, I would just, I would just love. I remember just sort of this, this weird little petition. I was walking with my backpack um, back to my bicycle. And I, and I just remember, I, was, I thought, this is the weirdest thing. I was like, Lord. You know, I just, I want a swatch watch. And I looked down, and there was a brand new swatch watch laying in the grass. The only time in my life I took it and never turned it in. (laughs) I felt no guilt whatsoever. I still have it. It doesn't work, but I have it. It's just a reminder that God cares about the tiniest things in your life. So whatever it is that you think, oh, well, that's too little to ask God for. No, there is nothing too little to ask God for. Nothing at all. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He wants your heart's desire to be fulfilled. Whatever that is, even a silly little swatch watch laying in the grass. So that's when we ask for ourselves. And it's fine to ask for yourself. And, and it's also not true. Preachers will tell you this, but I don't think it's true that 
it's a lower form of prayer. I don't think that's true. It's an appropriate form of prayer for your need. Which I want to say because the next piece is that when we ask on behalf of others, it's called intercession. And it's important. And it's powerful. And it's needed. And we need to pray for one another. The Bible tells us to pray for one another. But it's not a higher form of prayer. Like, oh, well, you can pray for yourself, but if you really want to be holy, pray for somebody else. No, they're they're equal. You can pray for your needs and the needs of others. Both equally valid. Does this make sense to you? I know some of you are like, that doesn't sound right. It's okay. You can pray for what you need and you can pray for others. Both are important. So when we pray for somebody else, what do we call it? Intercession. Intercession. Very good, very important. And it changes the world, by the way, friends. Many of you all have known people, uh, or maybe yourself, um, that you were praying for something for somebody. They thought they were going to die or they thought um, that they had stage four cancer and it was going to be over and somehow it's relieved. Now, let me say this first. Everybody you know, everybody you love is going to die. Okay, so let's not get too depressed about that or too elated about that or not too holy about pe- some people are healed and some people are not. We're all going to die. It's just a matter of when. Okay, so we just, we've got to kind of just take a breath and be like, because a lot of people stop praying because God answered them in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait, or not yet. And sometimes we get stuck with the no, or sometimes we get stuck with the not yet. Uh, and I don't remember who said it, but um, it's been said that there have been many more tears shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones. I think that's true too. But it's all prayer and it's all good because God loves his children, he loves you. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, this is the story that we get. And it's an important one that we remember. You see, Solomon is David's son, and and his accession to the throne carries danger and opposition. As you think about this, it's one thing to be the king's son. It's another thing to be the king. Particularly, and it's hard for us uh, as really one of the few great superpowers uh, left in the world. But imagine if you became, say... Uh, the king of a small warring country with two or three other countries around you that wanted to kill you and take your people. See, it's a different thing in that setting, isn't it? It's not always so good to be the king, particularly if you have other tribes that are more powerful than you that surround you. And so Solomon used to be able to play in the castles and the, and the joy and the joy of his father and everybody. David had all the, the whole nation on, on his heart and on his shoulders. Not so with Solomon. Solomon got to hang out and play until this day. He's no longer the king's son. He's the king. And so the the chronicler says it this way. He says, Solomon, son of David, established himself in his kingdom. The Lord his God was with him. And if you're paying close attention, the people would have heard it like this. And there were a lot more that were not, which is why the Lord was with him, because he needed the Lord to be with him, because there were a lot of other people that were not. And because the Lord was with them, God made him exceedingly great. Now, what would your first act as king be? If you were king for the day, what would you do? Well, if you're wise, you seek the Lord. Right? That's what you do. Solomon's first act as king was to seek the Lord. Will you read that with me? Solomon's first act as king was to seek the Lord. How about you? When you get in a tight Is your first act to seek the Lord? If you're like most people in Edmond, oh no, of course not. I got this. I got this. 
One of the things I've learned in my 52 years of life is when someone on my team or my staff says, I got this, I know automatically they don't got this. Right? Because what it means, they haven't really thought about it. They don't know all the intricacies of it. They haven't been through it before. So particularly if it's your first time, anybody ever try a plumbing project at home? <laughs> I got this. Well, like in a month you do. I love, that, I love that truck that drives by that says, we fix what your husband tried to. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So this is what Solomon does. Solomon summed, summoned all of Israel, all the people, the commanders, thousands of, and of hundreds of judges, and all the leaders of Israel, heads of families. Then Solomon and the whole assembly with him went to the high place that was Gibeon for God's tent of meeting. This was the national sanctuary, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness was there. Can you all imagine like more than a thousand people in one space at one time? If you're here Wednesday, you can. He was crazy. We, we, we gave like 1,600 kids candy and watched it as the crazy went from here to here. Now, imagine that times like 1,000, right? 1,000, thousands. And just people everywhere. All of a sudden, Solomon's in charge of them all. And if you've ever been in charge of more than 1,000 people at once or, you know, responsible for their safety, it can be terrifying. It really can. Think Bible school, right? So what Solomon does is he goes up to the bronze altar before the Lord of the National Sanctuary, which was the tent of meeting, which is where God hung out, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now, you remember that in in those times, the way you were made right with God was not to just kneel and pray, but to actually take an animal, a goat or a bull or ram, uh, and you would take it to the altar and you would slaughter it just so, and you would offer it to God, and you would have a festival. You'd have a big meal with the rest of your family, and you get to, to eat it together and celebrate the goodness of God. A thousand burnt offerings. This was a really big deal. And what does God do? But come to Solomon in response and say, well, what would you like? What shall I give you? Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for seeking me. Thank you for saying thank you. Thank you for thanking me. And so he says to Solomon, ask, what should I give you? Now, friends, God hasn't changed. Right? Scripture says God is not a human that he should lie. So God's asking you this morning. What do you want, kids? What should I give you? Don't answer too quickly. What should I give you? What is it that you need today? You see, if done well, this and the next 30 minutes can change the entire trajectory of your life. If you simply say help to God. For some of you, there are things on your mind that you need help with that have come up in the last week or so. For others of you, there are things you need help with that came up about 50 years ago. And you've given up all hope about that. It's like when Mary and Martha said to Jesus, well, Lazarus would have been raised if you'd have been here. But now he's gone. You didn't do what you said you were going to do, God. And uh, it's too late. Some people here in this room think it's too late about something that you've been praying for, thinking about. God says, no, ask me, ask me. What should I give you? What, what is your heart's desire? So that night, God appeared to Solomon. And he said to him, ask, ask. What's the key word there, by the way? Now, Solomon's response is based on three truths. 
The first is that Solomon knew that he was loved by God. You were loved by God. And it's a part of God's good plan. Notice that Solomon, he didn't choose his parents. He didn't choose to be the son of David. He didn't choose to be the heir of the throne, but he is. And he's the king now. It's part of God's good plan. And he is loved by God. So Solomon says to God, you have shown great and steadfast what? Love. He understands who God is. God has been loving to him and to his father David. and And he says, and, by the way, God, you made me succeed. My father is king. Right? He's putting it on him. Right? Anne Lamont writes it this way. She says, prayer is taking a chance that against all odds and past history, we are loved and chosen and do not have to get it together before we show up. You don't have to get it together to show up before your father. God loves us perfectly beyond what we can think or even imagine. And every once in a while, you get a glimpse of heaven when we sense the Father's love for us. This is my friend, uh, Leslie Broadbent, and his daughter, Morgan, uh, the day of her wedding. Can you just see the joy on her face? She knows how deeply she's loved by her father. Leslie said at the uh, reception that uh, before Morgan, he had never held a baby in his life until his own daughter was in his arms. Imagine, have you ever sensed the joy of the Father? Just what it is to be loved beautifully, completely, fully, for no other reason than because you belong to Him. Because He adores you. He wants you to have your heart's desire. That's my favorite photo I've seen this year. We, Morgan and our boys are about the same age. Their kids are our kids' age. And it was such a joy to be there and when, uh, when they posted that on Facebook list last week, I was like, oh, wow. That's it. You want to know how God feels about you? That's it. Ask for what you need, friends. He loves you. He loves you deeply, fully, perfectly. Now, what Morgan doesn't know is that soon she, too, will be overwhelmed by her life of what it is to be married. We are, people, if you've been married three days, you know this is true, Right? <laughs> At some point, you go, wow, I have given myself to another person. And now we're, it's whatever it is, right? And, and we are soon overwhelmed by the task that lies before us or our life that is before us. And so Solomon, no longer the son of the king, but the king himself, he says, Oh, Lord, God, let your promise to my father David now be fulfilled. Read this with me. For you have made me king... For you've made me king. And the Lord has placed you where you are. The Lord has placed you where you are. You're not where you are by accident. You're not here by accident today. You are here by the will and grace of God and your cooperation with that will. And it's absolutely fine for you to say to God, God, I'm here. You've placed me here. Help. Help. Because you've made me king over people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Do you hear his panic? How overwhelmed he is? Some scholars believe that Solomon was 20 years old when he took the throne. Can you imagine a sophomore in college? Here, you're the king. There you go. I mean, most people today be like, "Uh, I haven't finished my degree program. Right? I, haven't, I haven't done this. I'm not ready. I'm sure Solomon did not feel ready. 
He needed to seek the Lord. And so the third thing that he knew was that he needed help. He needed wisdom. He needed guidance. And he needed strength. He needed all that from the Lord. And so he asked. He says, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of, say it with me, yours. And friends, your life is not your own. It is the Lord's. So you need not fret or worry about it. It's his anyway. He's the one that placed you in your mother's womb. And he will receive you home. And so in all the days between, you don't need to fret or worry. Because he has you. Ask for what you need. Richard Foster, in his wonderful book on prayer, uh, wrote these words. And they really arrested me. Because I don't, I don't necessarily like this, but it is the truth. We are forever dependent upon God. Isn't that true? Now, we know we're dependent upon God when we're babies. We're dependent on our moms. Um, but then, you know, you know, by toddlerhood, you're done with that. You're fully independent. Or so you think. If you've ever been around a three-year-old, you know this to be true. Right? And then, you know, you, you go through elementary school or, you know, because you will have made it by mid-high. And then you go through mid-high, you go through high school. Some of us uh, go on to college. Others of us begin our work life in different ways. Others are military service. I want you to think about what, what is that season of your life, friends, where you're no longer dependent on God? Is it when you retire? No, I mean, there's never a day that you're not fully dependent on God. We are forever dependent upon God. Our problem is we forget it. We forget that that's the case. And our pride gets in the way. We like to think that we're self-sufficient. There, there's just this sort of rebellious peace in all of God's people. And we have to work against it. I have the great privilege and honor and sacred duty to perform uh, rites and rituals around the end of life of people. Um, I do this every year, sometimes here, sometimes at other churches or for friends of friends. We're a young church, and so I don't have to do a lot of it these days. Um, But this is the phrase that always stands out to me. It's out of the book of worship at every service of death and resurrection that we do. Oh, God who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear than we are even to pray. That's who God is. God's waiting to talk to you. God's waiting to hear you. God's waiting for you to ask. And the very God who places us in our mother's womb is the God who's more ready to hear us than we are even to pray. But it all starts there. If you've ever been to a 12-step group of any kind, uh, they will start with step one. And step one says this. We admitted... We were powerless over, you get to fill in the blank there. If you're at AA, it's alcohol. If it's NA, it's narcotics. If it's OA, it's overeating. And you pick it. What are you powerless over? Because, friends, until we get to that step one, none of the other steps happen. Unforgiveness, grief, whatever makes your life unmanageable. That's step one. And you can take that step today. It's different for every person. And here's God's answer to our our problem. It's the same answer he gives to Solomon. Because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge. What is a really great prayer? It's for wisdom and knowledge. For yourself. That's a great prayer. 
that you may rule my people, right? God's like, yeah, you got that right. It is my people over whom I have made you king. So all of this lines up. Solomon says, you put me in this fix. And God says, yes, I did. And I'm going to fix it. Here you go. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you knowledge. And, and they're granted to you. You don't need to worry about this. And by the way, because I love you, because you're my kid, I'm also going to give you riches, possessions, honor, such as none of the kings had before you and none are going to have after you. Basically, God says, I'm going to bless you. And in ways that in the Protestant tradition we're a little uncomfortable with, um, in the Old Testament, um, blessing was often and most often tied to riches and honor and grace and victory. It just was. That's how they understood it. And Jesus has a lot to say about that. And what Jesus says is found in Matthew 12. He says, see, friends, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, if you are Jewish, they're like, say what, Jesus? There's nothing greater than Solomon. Solomon's the greatest. It's the greatest temple. Everything goes back to, to Solomon and David. There's nothing greater than Solomon. Jesus says, uh-huh, you're looking at him right here. I know people don't like to think of Jesus uh, as like saying, hey, look at me. But sometimes Jesus says, yeah, look at me, I'm here. Greater than Solomon. What you've been waiting for is here. The Messiah you've been waiting for for hundreds of years. I'm here. I'm greater than Solomon. What is greater than Solomon? Jesus. Jesus is greater than Solomon. And he's here for you. He's here for the world. And what does Jesus say to us? Ask. He says this in, the, in, in Matthew 7. Right? In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you have the greatest teaching the world has ever known. And Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For what's the key word? Everyone who asks receives. And say it with me. Everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone? He flips it. Like, I've said everyone, and so make no mistake. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? What's the answer? No, of course not. Or if the child asks for fish, we'll give a snake. Like, what kind of creep does that? No. He says, so if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, we can never forget who God is. It's so important that we hold on to who God is. He's, so he's better than we are. We want to be made in God's image. We don't want God to become like us. We want to become... Merciful and gracious and kind and generous like God. But how do we do it? I mean, how do we actually live into this? Well, it begins with stopping. Stopping in your tracks. Getting quiet. And then, maybe this is hardest of all, releasing our grip. Just the tiniest bit. Saying, okay, God, I've been holding on to this. And, of course, God's saying, then, how's that working for you? He's very Dr. Phil like that at times. How's, how's that working for you? He's like, just let it go. Open, open up your hands. Release your grip and let me help you. I'm always drawn into and horrified by the humanity that I see in two- and three-year-olds when they are trying to do something that they cannot yet do, like open a door that's just out of reach or tie a shoe or do something that's so easy for everyone five and up but for them it's just out of reach and you, you've been there 
when the little one, they, they're, they're reaching and they're frustrated and they're just about to throw a fit. And you say, oh, here, let me help. And they look at you like, no, me do it. No, me do it. And God's like, really? Friends, you would know that I fully believe that every person in the room is only very tall three-year-olds. That never gets out of us. But it's to our own peril and the hardship of others around us when we say to God, no, me do it. We just have to release our grip just the tiniest bit. And here's the thing. We have to show up before God before you get it together. Some of the most heart-wrenching conversations I've ever had as pastor are people who come to me and they're broken and they're hurting and they want to be released. They want a new life. And I say, well, come. You're welcome right as you are. Come and, and be baptized and give your life to the Lord. And I say, no, 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 not yet. I got I to gotta get my act together before I'm baptized. I'm like, no, no, no. You will never get your act together. You do not have the power in you to get your life together. Only God Almighty has the power to pull your life out of the pit. That's why we call him Savior. We call him Savior, not consultant. Right? We don't need to worship a consultant. First they con you, then they insult you. That's a different sermon. Moving on. We've got to show up before God before we get it together and say help. We never get it together without God. And here's the thing about God. God can handle honesty. He knows who you are. None of us are fooling him. He knows what you struggle with. Ask. Say help. And the more truthful we are, the closer we are to God. Because Jesus says, I am the way and what else? truth all truth is god's truth jesus says i am truth so when you get to the truth you're looking at jesus because jesus is the truth and life itself the other metaphor that the bible uses for jesus is light and so we need to even if you're not a person of faith you may not know about jesus you may not know anything about god but you do know about light and that's enough friends move towards the light when Chantel and I were up in uh, Michigan a few years ago, I came across this sunflower field, and it, I, it just stopped me. We're like, hold on, get out. I, I basically made the guy who was driving us stop the car so I could get out to take this photo. And um, here, here's the thing. Prayer is our most organic self. It's raw, unadorned, not dressed up. It's our most basic life form, just like a sunflower before the sun. And when you are trying to communicate with the light, that's good. We are trying to communicate and, and to reach out, to be seen, to be loved, to be found by the light of the world, Jesus. And like a sunflower, when we sense the light, there's something within us that we begin to turn and warm up in its rays. It's just how we're made to turn towards the light. However, Anne Lamont writes in her book that light also reveals us to ourselves, which is not always so great. If you find yourself in a big, disgusting mess, possibly of your own creation. But like sunflowers, we turn towards light. Light warms, and in most cases, it draws us to itself. And in this light, we can see beyond shadow and illusion to something beyond our modest receptors, to what is beyond us and deep inside. I love this photo I took up in Michigan because I wonder... I wonder which sunflower I am in that photo. 
Which sunflower are you? Is this little guy in the front a trailblazer? Does he see and sense something that the rest of them just haven't found out yet? Or is he a three-year-old? No. Me do it. I'm not turning. Everyone else is turning to you, not me. I'm staying right here. Have you ever missed out on a party because you were just mad at everybody else at the party? I wonder what's going on in that little sunflower's mind. Where are you in that photo? I'm going to invite you to pray this one word. Help. Say it in your mind. Say it out loud. Say it to a friend. Write it down because it is the first great prayer. Help. That's a prayer. And it's a good one. Because, friends, you have to start where you are because you can't start where you're not. So many people are going to start doing this when this happens. I'm going to do that when that happens. I'm going to do this when the timing's right. Friends, the timing's never right. You got to start where you are. Has anyone ever said to you, let go and let God? Anne Lamont, in her book, she writes, Believe me, I could if I would, and I would if I could. And in the meantime, I feel like stabbing you in the forehead. She says, teachers wrote on my report cards that I was too sensitive, excessively worried, as if this were an easily correctable situation. At the same time, I didn't want to ask my parents for help because they had so much on their plates already. And besides, I was the helper. I was the helper. I was the go-to girl, she writes. For everyone in the family, and ours wasn't a family who would ever, under almost any circumstances, ask others for help. As I've alluded to earlier, I come from a parsonage family, and ours was one that was not known to ask for help. We were the helpers. And in my family system, I was the helper. I was the helper. Maybe you are the helper. And if you grew up as the helper, and I would suppose that uh, more than most in the room probably are, that's, you know, you're good church-going people. That's why you're here. You're helpers. You're here to help. Some of you handed out bulletins already or uh, did all sorts of things or helped in the children's department. You're helpers. And here's the thing about us. If we're not careful, we become hard to help. Isn't that true? And if you're not super careful, you might even become bitter or resentful that people did not help you even though you never asked for help. They should just know. Friends, people don't just know. You actually have to ask. We have not because we ask not. So, last week, um, it was Commitment Sunday, and we committed ourselves to God. And we did that by bringing our commitments to this box. And then we offered them up to God. Kind of like what Solomon did in the scripture. He gave those thousand burnt offerings. But this week, I want you to know that God is responding back to you. Whether you gave a gift last week or not. And he says, 
What do you want? How can I help you? It's a great question. How can I help you? And at communion time, I'm just going to leave this open. And between now and when you finish communion, I pray that you would write down just either the person or the situation that you just cannot carry with you another moment. And I want you to know that no one will see these cards. We won't pray over them. We won't do Christian gossip over them. We won't do anything other than take them directly to the shredder after service and shred them. No one will see them. But you'll know. And God will know. And he'll make it real for you. Because some of you have been carrying things that you're just mad at God about or you've not given to God or you haven't asked because you're afraid that God's not going to come through. And you need to leave it here today so you can go home free. So don't you think about that. You've got in your bulletins, you have a little card that says, for the God box. This is the God box. All right, I want you to take that out. Look at that. And I want you to pray about that. God's asking you, what do you want? How can I help you? Whatever that is. And place the card in the God box and pray. Hear God. I can't, but you can. Help. Help me. Help me. Help me. I invite you to come as you are. Because God's timing is right for you to ask for help. Amen? Let's pray this prayer together. Inviting God, you have laid down the invitation of a lifetime to ask you for anything. A long list of things I think I want easily comes to mind, but let my prayers wisely be for what you want, for all that I might never dare ask and couldn't even dream of wanting. But trust is good because it is from you. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.